You are listening to episode 749 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's show, I'm going to be speaking with Jeremy, who is a nurse, and a few other things. Got a bunch of letters behind his name. He'll tell you about it in a second. I love the conversation that Jeremy and I had. Jeremy is the exact kind of clinician you're hoping to get when you have type 1 diabetes. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, you'd be doing me a personal favor. You'd be supporting the show. You'd be helping people with type 1. You'd be helping yourself. If you went to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box, joined the registry, and completed the survey. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. I've got this little bit of time left here. I don't know what to do with it. Um... You should check out the Pro Tip series. It begins at episode 210. It's really good. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is brought to you by Omnipod 5. Learn more about the Omnipod 5 and get started today at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And if you already have the Omnipod 5, don't miss the Pro Tip series just for the Omnipod 5. It's a three-part series on episodes 736, 737, and 738. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitoring System. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Head there right now and find out if you're eligible for a free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6. You just may be. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Dexcom, Omnipod, and all the sponsors. My name is Jeremy. I'm a nurse practitioner. Um, I'm also a certified diabetes care and education specialist and board certified in advanced diabetes management. Wow. That's a, quite, a, quite a list of uh, bona fides you have there. I didn't, uh, I didn't know I was going to be talking to a professional. Oh, yeah. Yep. I'm uh, uh, completely obsessed with diabetes. So do you have it? it? I don't. I actually don't have anyone in my family that has diabetes. Um, I don't even know where my interest with it developed. My first job out of nursing school was on a pediatric diabetes floor. Um, and I think that's probably where it started to grow. And then throughout my career, it's just gotten to be stronger and stronger of an interest. Wow. Good for you. That's a really wonderful thing to devote yourself to. Yeah. I mean, everyone's diabetes is different to me. It's like every day is every patient you see is just so different that it makes things interesting. Like it's never the same thing over and over again. When you, when you, um, hmm, I don't know how to ask this. All right, well, hold on a second. Let me get to it. I almost got ahead of myself. Jeremy, don't, don't, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this then. So went to college to be a nurse. It's what you wanted to do. You're like, I'm going to get a nursing degree. Uh, no. So I went to college and got a bachelor's in sociology uh, and worked in software development for a little bit and couldn't really do much with a bachelor's in sociology. Uh, so I went back 
to become a nurse. Uh, and then after I became a nurse, then I went back to school and got my um, master's in nursing to become a nurse practitioner. No kidding. Good for you. And then what made you move? I mean, how do I guess not what made you, but how do you make the move towards diabetes? You just get a job and it's what it is, or do you have to find that? Like, do you have to search it out? I guess that's my question. It took me 10 years after I, after I became a nurse to finally get a full-time job in diabetes. Other than that first job I had um, in pediatric diabetes, um, I was in primary care and urgent care, but I, when I was in primary care, I was the diabetes guy in the office. So nobody, no provider in primary care, it's, or it's rather rare that they actually like working with diabetes because it's very difficult for most of them. Um, So I was the guy that everyone would refer their patients to because I loved doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just like, I, I was the guy. um, So in primary care, it's rare to manage people with type one or anyone that's on a pump. And I had so many patients on pumps. Um, I was just comfortable with it all. So, um, so I was doing that. And then I, uh, a job came available at Jocelyn diabetes center. Um, and I applied because I, it's what I wanted to do. Um, and they hired me and I've been doing full-time diabetes ever since then. That's crazy. Good for you. Wow. And then I got stolen by another hospital after. (laughs) Well, how does that happen? Uh, I was doing a, uh, research project in our, or we were doing a quality improvement project at Jocelyn and we were getting really good, good results. I was one of the clinicians like heading it and the program manager of the place where I am now is the daughter of a woman that was on doing the study with me mm-hmm. and she had raved about me to her daughter. And so her daughter, when someone put in their notice that they were retiring where I am now, she reached out and said, Hey, would you be interested in coming to work for us? And, um, where I am now, they have a nursing union. So the pay is significantly more than I was making. And that's how they were able to steal me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that makes sense. Um, (laughs) (laughs) hi, would you like to, there's more money. I'm on my way. (laughs) Yeah. It's the same exact job. I'm doing the same exact thing. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, all right. So, what is your day like at work? Uh, it depends on if I'm, so our days are split between, or my week is split between outpatient and inpatient. So outpatient, I'll see people in the office um, or virtually. Um, usually like every, if it's a new patient, I have an hour. If it's uh, a follow-up patient, I have 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see anywhere from eight to 16 patients a day. And then when I'm on inpatient service, we just are a consult service. So anyone that comes into the hospital with difficult to manage diabetes, they consult us. Or if they have type one, we're the ones managing it. Like no team here manages type one diabetes except for us. Okay. How many people on the team? Um, There are on the inpatient team, there's three NPs and a PA. And plus we'll have an attending like an MD right. or a DO on um, at the same time. Outpatient, there's, God, like 28 of us, I believe, or maybe, yeah, something like that. Um, When a patient comes in, how do they mostly see you? Do they see a doctor? How frequently do they see the MD, et cetera? So I'm kind of a unique situation. So a lot of, so when I moved to where I am now from Jocelyn, I had, about 60 patients follow me. So they only see me every three months and that's what they want. Um, they have the option of seeing an MD if they want. Um, the same thing with the patients I see now, some 
will see me every six months and then the MD every six months. So we alternate for their visits every three months. But um, I would say about probably 70 or 80% of my patients only see me. Okay. Okay. And then never, like you're saying, like once a year, even the MD, there's no like, like, I don't, I don't mean tech legal, I was gonna say legal, but like insurance reason why they have to or anything like that. Nope. Um, in Massachusetts, we now have independent practice, but there's really insurance wise, there's no reason for them to see an MD unless they want to. Okay. Um, it, it's really up to the patient. I really don't like ha- care one way or the other, but I'll, I, I've personally found that a lot of my patients don't want to see anyone else except me. So I just continue seeing them unless there's an issue. And I have like, I've run into a roadblock where I can't figure something out and then I'll consult one of my colleagues, but um, that hasn't, that doesn't really ever happens unless it's a really weird case of diabetes. Like, um, like someone that has had a total pancreatic pancreatectomy, like they're, they don't have any pancreas anymore. Okay. Those can be really hard to manage. Um, but other than that, I, I mean, 99% of the cases I see, I, I can manage well. And most of my patients have an A1C less than eight and a lot less than seven. So, um, I do a pretty good job, I think, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was stolen, I think. Yeah. Well, no, we'll t- <laughs> I, I guess talk about that for a second. What is, what's it like uh, what do I want to say? I, I guess give people your perspective of what it's like to see five, six, seven, however many people a day. And they all have, like you said, diabetes is different for everybody, but I think you mean their lives are different. Like the, like, yes. Yeah. yeah. The diabetes is the same, right? The way insulin works, like the idea about having your basal right and pre-bolusing your meals, like that stuff's the same for everybody. But what, what are the parts that impact people and change things? Uh, it is lifestyle things um, like exercise is a big one or lack of exercise, um, their diet composition. Um, I mean, with type one, the wind can blow and your blood sugars can go crazy. So, um, I mean, for type one, it's a lot harder mm-hmm. um, in, in that regard anyway, because it can it's it can be very fickle, like emotions can do it. So like, especially as people get older and I have a lot of people with type one that are in their fifties, sixties that are then taking care of their parents and they can have pre like previously have great control before that. And then all of a sudden they have this extra life stress and their blood sugars just go crazy despite them not really changing much other than adding that stress. So, I mean, pretty much anything like you talk with Jenny, like literally anything can be a variable, like it, everything affects diabetes. Like that's one of the reasons I like it is that it's, literally everything in a person's life affects their diabetes. Okay. And, and, and so, kind of like a puzzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how is it to how is it to figure that out when you don't see the people for very long? Uh so I'm kind of a micromanager with my patients, so I'm seeing them in the office every 3 months, but I'm usually touching base with them every couple of weeks to go over things, um, especially the people that aren't, don't have good control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I basically micromanage until we get good control. So I'm frequently like calling people on my inpatient days when I'm in, like between patients to follow up, adjust their regimen based on how they're doing um, and going from there. So I don't limit my time to the patient to just the office visit. I don't, I find that that's kind of futile. So I I actually find that my office visits are fairly quick because I talk so much to them between visits. Um, 
but I think that's just my practice style and not everyone is like that. Okay. Um, do you feel like, do you feel like when they leave, they know what to do or they kind of have marching orders. And then after they march to that beat of that drum so many times, it starts to make sense to them. Uh, so I'm a diabetes educator too. So I also make, I do pretty thorough education with them, especially if they don't understand concepts for newly diagnosed type people with type one, I'm usually seeing them for their initial visit and then usually touching base with them every like two or three days for four to six months until we kind of get things where they need to be. Um, Cause it's, it's type one is just a, a different animal. Whereas type two, I can throw someone on something like Ozempic or Trulicity and it typically corrects itself. And we don't really have to do anything much other than the once a week injection. Right. Um, so it's really, uh, tell, tell me about that variable. Like, give me that for a second though. The, um, meeting with people every two or three days, meeting with them, how text messages, video chats, how do, on the phone? I usually by phone. Okay. Um, but usually I'll have like, the, um, especially if they're type one, I'll have their, like a Dexcom, like I'll go on clarity and I'll be able to see what's happening and we can go over specific things that they ate. They'll keep a log and we'll adjust based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, diabetes is so complex that I also don't want to overwhelm them all at one visit. So even if it's not a new diagnosis that like, you can't talk about diet and exercise and like sick day management and all the different other variables at the same time, because no, nobody's going to absorb that. It's just too much information all at once. So the way I do education is kind of piecemeal. Like I'll do, make sure they get one concept and then I'll move on to the next one um, when they have kind of solidified that. Yeah. Um, because I mean, when I was new, like it, I, I knew I, I know I overwhelmed patients, like throwing everything at them and it just, nothing stuck. And it, it just wasn't, it wasn't a good use of my time or theirs. Hmm. Um, how did you learn that it was overwhelming? Like what, ha- um, like what, like I'm imagining like a real life situation happen. And then like, what, what, like, you know what I mean? Like what made you go, Oh hell no, no, no. I'm doing this wrong. Uh, I think it was that the, I mean, a lot of it's the look in their face when I'm done (laughs) and they're like, they have that deer in the headlights kind of look. Um, the other thing that I found was that I would do all this education. And then when I'm following up with them a week or two later, um, to touch base, they don't remember half of what we had talked about and I'm having to redo, I was having to redo it. And so when I started doing that enough, I was like, okay, this is clearly not working. And I started to break it up. And that was much more effective. I take your point. Yeah. I'll tell you this. So this is kind of just, it's random, but I spoke to two people this morning. I don't know. So two people who kind of banged on my door enough and was like, oh my God, I really need somebody to help me. And I had a little bit of time this morning. And so I talked to two, two mothers of, of young children and you, you please understand. I don't know them. I've never met them before. I know mm-hmm. nothing about them. Right. And how am I going to try to get them moving in the right direction? So this is how the phone call starts. I say, hi, you know, and they're like, hi. And sometimes people listen to the podcast and there's a moment where they're like, it's the guy from the podcast. I'm like, calm down. Like I'm taking out my recycling now. Like, you know what I mean? Nothing special. <laughs> Nothing special is happening over here. And then I say, listen, first, I need you to understand I'm not a doctor. This isn't advice. We're two people chatting. 
if I say something you misunderstand or, you know, I just flat out get wrong and I mean, and someone ends up dead, it's not my fault. I need you to audibly tell me you understand, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I kind of say that so that they understand that, you know, like to be careful, you, you know what I mean? Like you need to be careful. But, right. But then I, init- I immediately I, I go like this. I go, all right, I'm going to ask you some questions. Just answer them real quick. How old? How long? What insulin do you think you're honeymooning? How much do they weigh? And then I say, what's going on? Then they blurt out all the stuff that is stuck inside of them for the last however many months or years, um, Mm -hmm. which ends up being very kind of therapeutic for them. I go, I completely understand. Here's what I think has to happen next. And then I immediately go to basal. Like, I want to see the basal right before we talk about anything else. Yep. And then make sure that they're, you know, reasonably pre-bolusing their meals, understand the impacts of different food. And then from there, where I'm lucky and you're not is then I get to like hand them episodes of a podcast and say, now here, just keep like broadening your understanding of this. And Oh, I actually recommend the podcast to a lot of my patients. I have the list of like specific episodes printed out uh, that I want them to listen to. And I actually refer a lot of people to your podcast. So, oh, well, Jeremy, now, now you and I like <laughs> each other much more. Okay. So that's excellent. <laughs> I was already enjoying you, but now much more. Honestly, I was kind of not scared to do this interview, but my practice style and the things that I tell patients when I'm listening to you, I'm like, holy crap, we sound like the same person. (laughs) So I'm like, I was like, oh, we're not going to have much to talk about because I do the exact same thing that he does. (laughs) You were afraid that we were going to be like, oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, everything was just going to be agreeing. Like, now listen, the first time I fell in love with Jenny is when she, like, I got off and I thought, wow, she and I think about this very similarly. And yeah. I just love that, you know, because. Oh, I love Jenny. Oh, my God. There's there's not enough. There, there, there's there's not enough understanding at the level where where you are at your job. Like, I, I, I just, it's just true. You, you know what I mean? There, there are too many people who see too many practitioners Mm-hmm. Who you know? It just happened this morning. I I, I said to the, the 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 second lady I was talking to, I said, "Hey, how many basal ridge do you have?" And she's like, uh, "I think it was like he gets four all day." I'm like, "Yeah, but you're on a pump." I'm like, "How many different rates?" She goes, "I don't know." I'm like, "Off the top of your head, you don't know how many different basal rates the kids has?" And she opened it up, and every two hours was a different rate. By the way, none of them anywhere near how much insulin the kid needed. And oh, you know, and I said, "How did this happen?" She goes, "Well, my." my diabetes educator kept changing it. And it's this, it's, you know, it's not always the same, Jeremy, I wouldn't want people listening to think like, this is definitely what's happening to them. But so frequently I see people use too little basil. Then they overdo it with meal instant or corrections. They cause, Mm -hmm. they cause lows. Then they show the graph to a, a practitioner who says, Oh, you're getting low. Let's turn your basil down. It's fascinating. (laughs) It's, yeah, I see that a lot too. And to me, it, uh, I don't know. So yeah, a lot of providers do that. And I've, a lot of times when I see a new patient, I'll start from square one and make them do a basal rate evaluation where I have them either fast for 24 hours if they can do it or have them fast for like eight hours at specific times during the day, during on different days yeah, to yeah. actually fine tune their basal rates and see what they actually are. And every time I do that, they are markedly different from what they should actually be. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, to me, that's just fundamental. Like you need to have, like, I agree with you, like you need to have the basal right to know 
what their bolus should be. Otherwise, you're just going to be adjusting and working in the dark. Yeah, it, it's all just you can say it any number of different ways, right? But um, if you were building a car and you didn't know how much the car weighed, you wouldn't know how to throttle the car. Right because, right. right, because the amount of horsepower you would need to drive this vehicle forward would be different if the vehicle weighed 2,000 pounds or if it weighed 6,000 pounds. So you, the basil's that weight. It's the base. And everybody skips over it like it doesn't exist. I, I mean, I'm telling you, like, throughout the early days of Arden's life, basil was never spoken about like it was of any importance. It was just like, here's a number. That's right. Now let's move on to all the things you're going to screw up. You, you, you know, and... um. I don't know. It just it seems like very common to me. Well, I'm going to ask you something because on your intake questionnaire, you you really caught my attention. Um, this idea has been in my head for years about a podcast. So, Jeremy, I think you might genuinely be the perfect person to talk to this, uh, talk, talk about this topic with me. So mm-hmm. I'm. The Omnipod 5 automated insulin delivery system is available now and waiting for you at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Omnipod 5 is the only tubeless automated insulin delivery system that integrates with the Dexcom G6 CGM. And it uses smart adjust technology to automatically adjust your insulin delivery every five minutes, helping to protect against highs and lows without multiple daily injections. Omnipod 5 is also available through your pharmacy, which means you can get started without the four-year durable medical equipment contract that comes with most insulin pumps, even when you're currently in warranty with another system. To get started today, go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now, for those of you who aren't in the market for an automated system, but still want an insulin pump and love the idea of tubeless, you're looking for the Omnipod Dash. Head over to my link, omnipod.com forward slash juice box. While you're there, you'll be able to learn everything you need to know about the Omnipod 5 and the Omnipod Dash. And you can also find out if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. My daughter Arden has been wearing the Omnipod since she was four years old, and she just turned 18. That is 14 years of wearing an Omnipod every day. And it has been nothing but a friend in this journey with insulin. Because the Omnipod is tubeless, you can wear it while you're showering, swimming, or participating in your favorite physical activity. It's a big deal to not have to disconnect from a tubed pump to do those things. Head over now to Omnipod.com forward slash juice box to find out if you're eligible for that free 30-day trial of the Dash, to learn more about the Dash, or to learn more about the Omnipod 5. Get started today. Omnipod 5 full safety and risk information as well as a list of compatible phones and clinical trial claims data are available at my link. And at that same link, omnipod.com forward slash juice box, you can also find terms and conditions for that Omnipod Dash 30-day trial. How would you like to know what your blood sugar is without poking a hole in your finger? You can with the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitoring System, which is available at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Not only does Dexcom offer zero finger sticks, but you can get your glucose readings right on your smart device. That's your iPhone or your Android. Don't have a phone? That's okay. You can use Dexcom's receiver. On any of these devices, 
You're able to set up customizable alerts and alarms, setting your optimal range so that you'll get notified when your glucose levels go too high or too low. And you can share this data with up to 10 followers. Imagine what that could look like. Your child could be at school and their data could be available to you, your spouse, their aunt, the school nurse, anyone who you choose. My daughter's been wearing a Dexcom forever, and it helps us in multiple ways. Around meals, we're able to see if our boluses are well-timed and well-measured. If they aren't, we can tell by how her blood sugar reacts, and then go back the next time and make an adjustment. Without the Dexcom CGM, we're sort of flying blind, but not just at meals, also during activity and sleep. The Dexcom offers us an unprecedented level of comfort and security. Being able to see my daughter's blood sugars in real time, and not just the number, but the speed and direction, is an absolute game changer if you're using insulin. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Head over there today to see if you're eligible for a free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6. The Dexcom is at the center of how we've been able to keep our daughter's A1C between 5'2 and 6'2 for over seven years. We've been able to minimize variability and keep her blood sugars in a stable range because of the information that we can see with the Dexcom. These are our results and yours may vary, but using Dexcom's feedback has helped my daughter, without any food restrictions, live a more normal and healthy life. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. concerned that people don't do a good job of interacting at their doctor's appointments. And I think it's more of a communication thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because, I think it's because we get put into maybe a subservient category when we slide into the, some people get into the doctor's office and it feels like that person's in charge. They're smarter than me. They know more than me. I'm going to listen. My ideas aren't important here. I'll kind of keep quiet where I think it needs to be more of an actual human interaction, mm-hmm. you, you know, and I think you, you have to come in eyes forward, looking each other in the face and, and making declarative statements and asking for clear answers. But I don't think people do that. And I was wondering what you thought about it. So, yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts about that. So I, personally find not so much younger providers i don't want to throw like baby boomers under the bus but it i think when they were going to med school it was more paternalistic and so i think when they're they get conditioned after seeing their provider for so long that that's how visits should go whereas i'm more almost like a coach like i don't tell patients what to do. I elicit information from them and I'm like, well, how about, how would this work? Like, and we kind of troubleshoot together. Um, but for them, when I'm doing that with them, a lot of people will, it takes them a few visits to actually they clam up, right? Get they're, it. They're, yeah. They're, they, they don't, they want me to tell them what to do. And it's like, no, you live your life. You need to tell me what, like how that I can help you. Um, Cause I don't know how they, live i don't live their life and if i don't if i can't get that information from them then any suggestion i make is going to be useless because 
it needs to be, you need to meet them where they're at. Yeah. Oh, of course. Um, and I find that a lot of, I think it's actually rare to encounter someone with diabetes, whether it's type one or type two, that doesn't have some form of disordered eating. And Jenny's a dietitian, I believe, correct? Not a nurse. Uh, so she, she might, she's got a couple of things going on over there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, um, she might be able to speak better to that, but I find that like people come in and they have aversions to food, different foods. Like they don't want to eat fruit. They don't want to eat this or that because their provider told them like, you're eating too many carbs and you can't have this and you can't have that. And that's another barrier to overcome too. Like that they just get into this mindset of they can't do things. Mm -hmm. And to me that like life is way too short to live like that. Like I, if I, if someone told me right now, like if I had type one right now and someone told me I can't have like Mac and cheese ever again, I I probably would flip them off. (laughs) Um, I just like it. Yeah. uh, Jeremy, you and I are aligned very well. So I think that it's, I, I, I don't take a paternalistic view of it, but I do think that in some cases with some people, my knowledge might be fuller than theirs. And yes, and maybe yeah. they don't sometimes know what's important. And, you know, I find there are these, um, these sort of like these dangling ideas when you ask people questions. I've talked about it before. You ask somebody, How, how's it going with your diabetes? And people go, great. And there's no context to that, like with a number or a you know a variability or, or whatever, however you're measuring, it doesn't matter. Because great to them is just better than whatever bad was to them. So whatever mm-hmm. the worst they were, if they're a little better than that, they're doing great. They have a seven and a half A1C, they're like, I'm doing great. I'm like, yeah, you're not doing great. You're not doing bad, but you're not doing great. And so the, the reason that's all important is because the person on the other end of that conversation when they hear great, they ascribe a number to it. So I've been in conversations where somebody says, I'm doing great, and their A1C is seven. And when I hear great, I think, oh, their A1C must be five and a half. They're doing great because that's my measuring stick. And yep. it's, it's so important to say it out loud. And then that translates to food. How do you eat? Oh, we eat great. Yeah. Well, you know, if you grew up in a house where you didn't eat on Tuesdays because that's how we save money you might think your McDonald's is great because it's way better than what was bad in the past. And Mm -hmm. now you over here, you know, as the practitioner who's eating leafy green vegetables and fish on Tuesdays, you're like, oh, they eat great. They eat fish and leafy green vegetables and take vitamins. And it's, there has to be an honesty. Now, the problem comes is that when sometimes patients are honest, then they run into a time where they get admonished. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're like, well, sh- I'm not saying nothing because this guy yells at me all the time. So exactly. Yeah. Yep. It's a huge problem. Oh, yeah. Especially um, I think more so in pediatric diabetes, um, because I think providers think, oh, they're kids and they'll do whatever I say. Yeah. And then when they become adults, they come with the, that same baggage. I actually had a patient who her her pediatric endocrinologist lost his license for the way he was treating patients. Um, but he has given her so much PTSD with her diabetes that it's hard to get her over the anxiety of everything to effectively manage it because of how awful he was to her. So Jeremy, as poorly as I feel for this person, I have to ask for a tiny bit more context. How do you lose your license? In, like, how, What do you have to do to, for that to happen? I'm not aware of the specifics. She told me about it. And then I asked colleagues at work and they had heard about him and heard about him losing his license. I don't know what specifically he did, um, but it was bad enough that he lost his license to practice. That's insane. 
No, wow, that's really crazy. I would, I'm so sorry for her that she went through that. I, I think that we have to start speaking concretely, but without judgment. And what I mean by that oh, is yeah. if, if you listen, if you're, you know, I don't care how you eat, honestly, like if you're a vegetarian, if you're a carnivore, if you, you know, if you're at McDonald's every week, all these people, they deserve their blood sugars to be stable. Mm-hmm. And, and so it doesn't matter to me. There's no judgment about how you eat. I just need to know how you eat so we can know how to talk about this. Because you can't just randomly say to me, my blood sugar goes up after dinner and it stays at 250 for five hours, but not tell me what you ate because I that's not enough information. Y- you know, so, I mean, I think that's the first thing is if people are listening, when you go into your doctor's office, you just have to be honest. And if you, if you're met, if your honesty is met with, you know, um, a response that is doesn't make you comfortable, then you need another doctor because because if you don't get one, you're just going to start lying to the doctor. So now you're going to tell the doctor what they want to hear. The doctor is going to give you advice based on the lies you're telling them, and your outcomes are going to be just as bad. That makes sense? exactly yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, I, I make them get into specifics, and I have a very non-judgmental approach. I'm very honest with my patients too that. I had my own struggles. I think why I identify a lot with people with diabetes is that I had my own struggles with obesity my entire life up until like two years ago. I'm actually on Ozempic, which is for people with um, type two diabetes for weight loss. Mm -hmm. And it was very successful for me. I'm now like 150 pounds. Like I'm at a normal weight now for my height. Um, But it was a struggle. And I, I, completely empathize empathize with the people that like eat fast food and like, cause, cause that's what I was doing. Like I, I wasn't eating like, healthy like I should. Right. And I, I mean, I still don't eat like perfectly, like completely healthy, but yeah. I try to, but it, I don't like when they tell me what they're eating, I don't judge it. Mm-hmm. I just figure out what we need to do to manage that, what they're eating Yes. once. And I focus basically on getting their A1C down. Once their A1C is at goal, then I start bringing up the subject of like, how can we incorporate like a healthier diet for you and then work on that. But for me, it's one thing at a time. I'm not going to make someone make drastic changes to their diet. And then we adjust their insulin because that's just going to, it's too much change at once. People will freak out with that. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's not reasonable. Like, like if that, exactly. if that yeah. was reasonable, then we'd all weigh our goal weight and we'd mm-hmm. all, we'd all look like we were on getting ready to fight in the UFC. Right. I mean, cause if that's how it worked, then you would just, we would designate a person in every town to walk around to every person and go, Hey, be healthier. <laughs> and they'd go, exactly. and they'd go, Oh hell, I'm glad someone told me I'll go turn myself into a UFC fighter right now, but that's not how it works. So you can't, you can't ignore that portion of, of, of the human condition and then just start talking about how insulin works because you're ignoring, you're ignoring the bigger picture. The bigger picture is you're trying to manage them based greatly on what's going in their mouth. And so you need to know what that is. And you can't be stupid enough to think that you saying to them, stop eating that means they're going to go out the door and go, oh, well, thank God that guy told me to stop eating that because I'll never do that again. Because that's so I I love Jeremy. Look at you. I love you. Okay. Um, (laughs) Tell me how much you uh, would you tell me how much you weighed at your at your at your greatest number? Yeah, I was 220 at my highest, mm-hmm. but I'm only five, I'm like five, seven and a half. Okay. Um, it was, and for my body frame, it was not an, an appropriate weight. Like I was at like greater than 50% body fat. I was over fat and under muscled. Right. Um, I got down to 140 and then now I've been working out to like build muscle mass back on. Cause I don't 
have a lot. And so I'm up to like 150 now because of that. How long, um, how long was that process for you? So I started Ozempic you gotta, March by of the 2000. Way, Jeremy, you got to stop saying that word because in my head now I hear, oh, 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 oh Ozempic. Yes. I, yeah. like, I can't think. <laughs> I can just hear that commercial in my head. But anyway, go ahead. Yep. Um, so I started that March 2020, like right before the pandemic started. Um, and by I, I was walking to and from work, which was three and a half miles each way. So I went on that. Um, and by September, I was down to 140. I lost 80 pounds in that six months, and I've kept it off since then. Wow, good for you. What does the drug do for you? Uh, it controls your appetite. So before I was on it, I never got the signal to my brain that I was full. So I could just, I remember being like 21, 22, like doing my prerequisites for nursing school. And I ate a large Chicago style pizza. I was living in Chicago at the time. I ate a large Chicago style pizza, mozzarella sticks, a large fry, and a bunch of other stuff like for dinner one night. Um, and I, I still felt hungry after I finished. Once I started on the Ozempic, I, I, I actually like feel full, like halfway to like three fourths of a way through a meal now. And I never, it was kind of a shock to me because I never felt full before. Mm. Um, I likely have a deficiency, like Ozempic's a hormone that the, your body makes. It's just changed a little bit so that it lasts longer. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm willing to bet that I have had a deficiency in it, and that's why it corrected it so dramatically. You, um, and most people with type two diabetes have a deficiency in that hormone as well, which is why it works so effectively for them. Um, is it written off label for you? Uh, it's a so I'm on WeGovi now, which is the same exact medication. Um, but it's just WeGovi is the weight loss version, basically. That's mar that is FDA approved for weight loss. Um, but I was on Ozempic initially and my, um, I had pre-diabetes actually, like my A1C was 5.8 or 5.9. Mm -hmm. And that's how my, uh, provider was able to get it approved. Um, and then now my A1C is like, I think five. Um, so it definitely helped a lot in that department. Wow. Once weekly. Yeah. Once a week. Oh crap. Huh? And I actually use it a lot in people with type one as well that struggle with their weight. Um, and it does great. It actually makes their blood sugars a lot more predictable and easier to manage. Um, so I'm hoping eventually we'll get coverage for it for people with type one because it does amazing things for them. Um, it also suppresses glucagon release. So you'd need less basal overall as well. And it slows gastric emptying. So you don't have to pre-bolus as much or as long as before. Hmm. Um, so it does... A lot, it has a lot of good metabolic effects. And the, I mean, I'm sure, you know, like the killer people don't with diabetes, don't die from the diabetes. They die from things like heart disease or kidney failure um, from the uncontrolled diabetes, damaging those organs and medications like Ozempic and Trulicity um, reduce dramatically reduce your risk of having a heart attack or stroke. So it's very good for someone with, with any type of diabetes to be on it. Does that by, um, by lowering your A1C, your blood sugar? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's insane. I didn't know we were going to learn so much from you. This is great. Uh, I try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really? um, I actually have a, an NP student who has type one. She uh, is a normal weight, um, but she was like, oh, I want to try Ozempic and see what it does for me. I want to experiment. So I prescribed it for her, got it approved through her insurance, and her average blood sugar went down 
by about 60 points um, just by starting that. And she didn't lose any weight on it, um, but it made her blood sugar so much more predictable. No kidding. Any side effects that like, did you grow a tail or anything weird? No. <laughs> uh, biggest side effect with it is nausea. And it typically goes away after you've taken it for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, like I got nausea for the first two or three weeks, but it was a kind of here or there thing. Um, the nausea though is actually predictive of someone responding really well to it. So if you do get nausea, it usually means that you're going to be a, a very good responder to the medication. Mm-hmm. But once your body gets used to the increased level of the hormone, that nausea goes away. Wow. That's really wonderful. Look at that science, huh? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, thanks Novo Nordisk. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, that's who made that, right? They make both of them actually. The, uh, they make, I believe they make Ozempic and Trulicity, or not, Ozempic and Wegovy. Trulicity is made by, I think, Sanofi. I don't really follow the manufacturers of the different products because I don't like to be biased, and it's a lot to remember. Um, but I think it's Sanofi that it? makes Trulicity. Trulicity. Which is the uh, medication. It's in the same class. It's just a different medication. Oh, okay. okay, okay. I, I understand. Oh. Well, I thought, okay, it doesn't matter. I don't know that Ozempic song though. Whoever wrote that, freaking mind control genius, uh-huh, marketing genius yeah, there. Yeah, because yeah, I don't, I don't like half know what Ozempic is. I don't need it, and I could sing that whole stupid song. Uh, it's the same reason I know uh, about Mounds and Almond Joy from the old Charlie Brown TV shows when I was a kid. Yep, <laughs> I've never had a Mounds or an Almond Joy in my life, but I know exactly how they're built and what's in them. Uh, yep, yeah, jingles. <laughs> it's a lost art, Jeremy. Anyway. Um, I, I'm still like overwhelmed as you're talking that you have you don't have diabetes. I think it's terrific. You you know like like your amount of enthusiasm for it is um, exceptional, especially after you've been doing it for a number of years. Is does yeah, it, I don't get bored of it at all. <laughs> does it feel like a challenge? Do you feel like you've fixed the like? Now I'm going to pick into your psychology. Like so, you like we we've, we've learned a lot about you. Like you said, you don't know why you went into like why did you go into nursing? Do you think? Ah, uh, so. When I was, so when I was young, uh, when I was 10, um, my father, um, it was actually national news and there's like a true crime show on it. Um, my father murdered my stepmother and going through that. And I was very close with her. Um, it, it made me kind of want to live my life to not impress her, but to honor her memory. Um, she was a very caring person, and I just didn't want anyone to die a miserable death like she did. Um, and so that initially, I was actually going to become a social worker. Um, and then when I learned that I, it's really you don't do much as a social worker in a hospital. That's when I switched uh, to nursing. Okay. All right. Hold on a second. I I I don't know what number episode yours will be. But um, I have like 620 of them out. I think I have about 60 more recorded. Um, I've spoken for thousands of hours to people with type 1 diabetes. You stopped me in my tracks in a way that no one has before. That really, just really, it shocked me. Just tell me one more time. Your stepmother was murdered by your father? Yes. Your, Your birth father. Yes, correct. I'm so sorry. Okay. How it, how old are yeah. you? I was 10. It, 
okay, you all live together? Uh, so I split my time between that house and um, with my mom. So I was there on like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then with my mom during the week. Okay. But you had a, your parents had been split long enough that you're, you had a real relationship with your stepmom. Oh yeah. Like I met her when I was, I think three and I was really close with her. Like she was a mom to me. Wow. Your father's in prison. Yep. Yeah. He gets out. I think in eight or nine years. I I have to ask you a question. That has nothing to do with diabetes, but does that make you question yourself that somebody who you're that directly related to did something like that? It does. I, um, it makes me scared to be angry um, because I'm worried that I'll turn out like him. Um, it like, I don't have a violent bone in my body, but like if, if something upsets me, I don't give my permission to I, give I, myself permission to get angry essentially. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't want, like I, I live with that fear that I'm going to hurt someone looking back as an adult now. Do you see prior to it happening? Do you see your father as someone like who could have done that? Or do you think it was like a crime of passion? Do you think he snapped or do you think that's who he so is? So it on the true crime. So I think the, it was on a TV show, I think on investigation discovery called most evil. They called it a crime of passion, except when you read the court documents and know what went on, he planned it like weeks in advance. Um, like this, it wasn't just like he knew what he was doing. Um, so, oh, sorry, I forgot like part of the question you asked. I, I just meant, did, do you, in hindsight, like looking back as an adult, did you think he was a person who could have done oh, that? Or do you think he just kind of snapped? I don't think he snapped. I think he was very controlling. Um, his, he had been married, I think two or three times before he had m- married my stepmom. Okay. Um, the, his first wife he beat her so bad on the lawn that she pretended to be like, like knocked out or dead so that he would leave her alone. Oh my God. Um, and then he left and went to work one day and then she escaped that situation. Um, so he already had that history. Um, the morning after it happened, um, we went to visit my stepbrother and he had witnessed the very beginning of it. And I, he told me what, what had happened and I, I believed him like it, it, he saw firsthand what was happening and I didn't really like my dad. He was kind of a jerk to both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, he was never like a warm and fuzzy dad. It was like, you kids are in my way, get out. Um, so I was tell like, I, I was very confused by the adults in my life wanting me to continue to have a relationship with him and believing him that he was innocent and that he it was self-defense it to me it was kind of obvious and at, at at 10 when all these adults are being contrary to you it's i don't know it, it was oh. very mind-boggling so when the adults were like i can't believe this happened you're like i can like that kind of feeling yep yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i hear you um wow man that's okay well now we know why you're a nurse that's good yeah figure that out like i you know i hate to feel like I'm boiling people down to like, but I think people are caregivers for a reason. Like something happened to them. They want other people to feel better than they felt at some, I mean, it just kind of seems obvious, but, um, and then you had a weight problem too, which then made me want to dig a little 
farther into it. Meanwhile, I know nothing about psychology. I just, it was enough of a clue for me to ask. I did not think you were going to say my father murdered my stepmother, but right. yeah. um, I, I I thought maybe you were going to be like, you know, there was this girl in eighth grade and she used to call me a name or I didn't know we were going to get here. I'm sorry. I mean, you, you were okay with all this talking about it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I'm very, like I've went to therapy for years. I'm very, yeah. I've always been very open about it. Right. Um, I'm not a very private person at all like most people in my life know about it okay no kidding you with a therapy <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely necessary oh my god well I'm, I'm i'm glad for you that you weren't there your mom must feel like she dodged a bullet i would imagine um, uh yeah she does yeah yep. no kidding was she, was she her his first wife no um they never married okay she was like the third i think relationship in that chain wow no kidding. Is your mom, had, did your mom ever remarry? Did you have a stepfather? No, my mom actually ended up coming out as a lesbian when I was in seventh or eighth grade. She had a girlfriend, but the girlfriend slash partner didn't really like me. So that was interesting growing up with. Jeremy, at least she didn't kill you. I mean, <laughs> that's you <know>. true. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about uh, talking about what level of great there is, like you're right. the, you're the first person I've ever met that not being murdered is like an upgrade. So it is, um, yeah, yeah, it is actually. <laughs> My goodness, well, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm not for people listening. I did not know this was going to happen. I um, I I love I love talking like this because of the way things come out. But I'll tell you, no no lie, man, you stopped me. Like when you said that, my brain went. I think he's talking about a television show, like, but it sounded like he said it was his real life. Like, I, yeah. could, I could literally feel my brain like arguing with my consciousness, like that. Well, you probably misunderstood that. Ask it again. Y you know, wow, man, that's nuts. All right. Um, well, listen, I understand. I, you know, I would, I would tell you, I don't think you're your father, but, um, you know, I would think that that most of that stuff we model, unless it's hardwired, which you don't seem hardwired to hurt people. Um, I think a lot of it's modeling and it sounds like you weren't really around him. So. Right. Yeah. yeah he didn't really want much to do with us as kids. So. Yeah. Although having said that, <laughs> I don't, I don't want you to be in a jail cell one time going the guy on the podcast told me to let go of my anger. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> my goodness. All right. Anyway, this is fun, Jeremy. <laughs> I mean, I'm having a good time. I'm glad uh, I can be entertaining. That's yeah, good. Well, well, listen, not many people come with, you know, something that's been on true crime television. Um, I appreciate you sharing. Wow. Okay. So watch me do this 180. <laughs> I'm laughing because I feel like it's a transition that doesn't make sense. But um, I, I, I want your opinion about what people can do. Like, forget you. Like, forget the kind of provider you are. In a generalized situation, what do people do coming in the door to give themselves the best chance at a good outcome? Uh, I would say taking their diabetes seriously um, and, I mean, for the best outcomes, the biggest thing I see that prevents people from getting good control is their fear of lows. Yeah. And it takes a lot, especially if someone has an anxiety disorder, um, it can be really hard for them to accept that, you know, 75 to 90 is a normal blood sugar. And we really should aim for that at all times, like at, at least like between meals, because um, they're so scared that they're going to drop low. But if you have 
the basil is correct and you know their insulin to carb ratio and which is something i uh don't like the concept of um and correction factor right then they really shouldn't be in any danger but they get so scared of lows instead of being scared of highs that it it impedes their success so i think getting over that fear and being willing to experiment is how people are going to be successful like you essentially experimented with arden and that's how you were able to find out what worked well for her um because every person is different and by experimenting, you find out what works for you and then you can, you'll know your body better and know how to respond to things. I just love just when you said you don't like the idea of um, insulin to carb ratio. It is kind of bull. Like it's, it is, yeah. it's meal content, like right. 45, like a hundred grams of carbs when you're eating pizza is way different than a hundred grams of carbs. If you're eating rice, like yeah. it's, they're, they're not the same at all. Like right. it's, you need to look at meal content because they don't, it does food doesn't behave that way. <laughs> That's why when I talk about it in order, when I say basil, pre-bolus um glycemic load index like i don't even really go to you would think the next thing i would say was make sure your meal ratio you know your meal insulin ratio is right but it does i mean unless you eat the same types of food constantly and then your ratio will probably be pretty close but if you go from one day from a salad to you know to pizza the next day and the third day french fries and then back to you know salmon and and a and a, a little balsamic uh, vinaigrette on in a little bit of maybe a tiny bit of basmati rice and like you know something light like that 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 ratio is not going to work on those four days the same way and exactly and people people get it into their head they believe in they believe in things like right like you know simple example is you know, Arden uses a peacher now, but it was hard for me to believe because a doctor handed me Novolog and said to me, this is insulin. And I went, this is insulin. Okay, thank you. Uh, like, I didn't think there were other insulins when somebody gave me Novolog. I believe that was insulin. When someone tells you your insulin to carb ratio is one unit for every 15 carbs, you never question that again, even though what comes next should make you obviously say to yourself, I don't think that ratio worked for this meal. But you don't do that. You think there's some diabetes fairy came down, tapped you on the shoulder and messed you up and you're not allowed to eat carrots or whatever the hell. You, you, you know, like it's it's interesting to watch people's minds jump over all the common sense to the next thing. Um, and that that's why I agree with you. I think that's it. We should call this uh, we should call this episode uh, meal ratios or bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They really are. I mean, what I do with patients also is remove or I work to remove a lot of the guilt associated with it and kind of put it in their head that you have very little control over when your blood sugars go crazy. If you're using something like an insulin to carb ratio, because you're, if you're doing it appropriately and you still don't get good control, it's not your fault that it messed up. It means that there's something wrong on, I, I would say my end, like we need to figure out what your meal content is and what we need to do to adjust for that. Yeah. Um, so I try actually try to take the blame onto myself if things are going wrong, because then I find that people are more willing to experiment that way and they're not as scared. Like oh, yeah. people like, with diabetes tend fault. to blame themselves for everything. Yeah, yeah, that's my fault. We should have tried this. And then, you know, like that. And then yeah. they're like, oh, it wasn't me. It was him. This guy. Idiot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody told me recently, I must have said at some point that um, you, you wouldn't take a bucket of water and try to put out a house fire, but you can put out a, I don't know, a campfire with it. And why do you think that the same amount of insulin would work on, you know, one impact as it would on another impact? And he said that 
person said that, just like they were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's it's interesting. It's interesting what I've seen over the years, like flip switches for people. It's never the things you think it's going to be like the real just, um, you know, bullet points, very medical. No one really. It, most people don't jive with that. You know, there's some there's some type A's. You know what I mean? There are some people who just are like, "Ooh, marching orders. This is great. You, you know, but I don't think most people think that way. I was wondering. You don't need to be specific, obviously, but for every 10 people you see, how many people struggle versus how many people are just cruising in there like, give me my scripts, Jeremy, so I can get going again because I'm great at this. Like, what's the what's the delineation? Uh, So for patients that have been seeing me for a while, I would say it's probably like eight out of 10 that are fine. Mm -hmm. Um, New patients that I see, uh, it's usually like one to two that are out of 10 that are fine and the rest really need a lot of work. Um, So I would probably say like on the grand scheme of things, like four out of 10 that I see. What's the time? Are doing okay. What's the time from uh, to yay? How long does it take you to get there? Um, It depends on the patient, but I would say if someone's really out of control, I am following them very closely. I would say within six months, we usually have things in a much better place, um, if not fully where they need to be. How much of your liability slows you down from moving them as quickly as you want to? Liability? Yeah. Like, I mean, if I, like, if this was a game show and I said, you fix somebody's blood sugar in an hour and a half, you think you could do it? I mean, yes, but like, that's what we do with DKA, but you don't want to actually, that actually brings up something about the Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to correct someone's blood sugar that quickly because it can cause a lot of problems. So um, I went on the Facebook group a few months ago and joined and was like, hey, guys, I'm an NP and certified diabetes educator, and I'd love to be able to help you guys. Um, And I made a comment in the, in my initial post that said, you know, if you're a, like, I see a lot of people worrying about getting their A1C down as quickly as possible. And I was like, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You don't need to get from an A1C of 14 to an A1C of five within three months because it's actually dangerous. Um, so you can actually get what's called treatment induced neuropathy of diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, or you can get treatment induced retinopathy of diabetes where you rapidly correct someone's blood sugars and their body just can't adapt to it. And they start having developing complications from diabetes. Um, and someone who was an internal medicine doctor, I think in Kansas, like commented and been, was like, no, you're completely wrong. Cause her child has type one diabetes. And I think she thinks that she's a diabetes expert now. Um, and it got very contentious. I was like posting articles being like, no, I'm, I'm completely right. Like you really shouldn't correct all that fast more so in like teenagers to adults. Um, but even in kids, you, it, it's better to, slowly walk them down versus overcorrect quickly. Um, so that's what I tell patients. Like it's a marathon, not a sprint. You yeah. want to get there, but we don't need to get there tomorrow. Right. Um, Cause that also puts a lot of pressure on them that like, if they don't get it there, then they feel like a failure. Right. Put, put some context to it. Like I, I, I think it's obvious. You don't want to go from like some outrageous, like, you know, you've been living with a 14 A1C for 10 years and, and tomorrow it's going to be a five. But if you're an eight and you can get to a six, that's not a big jump, right? Oh no, that's not a big jump at all. Right. Right. You're talking about from real high to, to real low real quick. 
Right. Right, right, right. See, may I make a suggestion? Don't try to talk to people on Facebook. It's not a great idea. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. I yeah, like yeah. deleted my post and left the group. I was like, this is going to... Yeah, I didn't want to get into fights. Right, um, right. You would, be, but I guarantee you, you should go back in there and just lurk. Don't talk to anybody. Resist every one of your urges to say anything. You'll learn how people think. You'll, oh, yeah. You'll learn their desires. You'll learn their fears. You'll learn what works for them and what doesn't. That's the master's class in talking to people. I learn more watching people on Facebook and not interacting with them than I do interacting with them. So it's, it's, it kind of goes back to the how you eat thing. Like, it's nice to think that this is how it should be, or whatever this is. But the truth is, it's how whatever it is. You know, however people live, whatever their impulses are, their fears, their, you know, the things they're willing to listen to or not willing to listen to, you have no control over that. There is this kind of like, I think I've done this thing by mistake where I've kind of created this almost nebulous ball of information that does a good job of feeding everybody, not just a certain somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's not something you can do one-on-one, -on -one, especially when you get ganged up on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, by the yeah. way, posting articles, that's not the way to go. <laughs> yeah, I was like, here's evidence. Well, I mean, she's a physician. Well, supposedly a physician. Who knows if she actually is? Um, but I was like, that's why I would talk to a colleague, like, here's a bunch of evidence that actually supports what I'm saying and why you're wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was just, it was just so contentious. And I didn't, she was, she was posting a lot of misinformation to other people. And I ended up deleting it because I'm like, these people don't need to be hearing wrong stuff. Right. I mean, I'm sure she's a great mother. I'm sure she manages her, her child's diabetes well, but just because you manage your own child's diabetes well, doesn't mean you can extrapolate that to other people because everyone is different. Yeah. It's a very interesting thing. Um, <sighs> It, 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 everybody thinks that their thing applies to everybody. Like when you really, if you really listen to me, if somebody, you know, did a thesis on this podcast one day, you would really find no matter what episode you were in, that what I'm talking about is basal, pre-bolus, glycemic load and index, stay flexible. Everything is just off of that. There's nothing yep. else. I'm not saying anything crazy anywhere else. If you, and, and I'll tell you what, if your A1C was five last month and this month you're in DKA, you know, your, your pancreas just shut off. I don't think there's a ton of concern bringing you from an 11 A1C down into the sixes and sevens. But if you've been nine even for years, then you're going to want a slower matriculation. But then you do the math too, right? Like these people have been suffering for so many years and now suddenly they realize it's a hardship, like as an adult, like imagine living for however many years with an A1C in the nines or the tens, and then learning one day that if your basal was just 0.7 higher an hour and you gave yourself insulin 10 minutes before you ate or 15 minutes before you ate, and that fat causes a rise later, you have this feeling of like lost time. It's mm -hmm. lost time and lost health. And now it's easy to say, just let's do it a little bit at a time. But if, but you're the linchpin in that, like you're the thing that you have and the people you help have that most other people don't have. Most other people don't have constant contact. That's what they need. So how do you give them enough that they can go away on their own and get to a good place? Like you're doing a, like, I, I think people would say you're doing the Lord's work, like, like staying in contact with people like that. Um, whereas most providers aren't going to do that. 
which I think does a disservice to the patients. Like I think yeah. on that, those providers parts, like they're practicing wrong. <laughs> like di- diabetes isn't something that just happens to them every three months. Like you really should be in contact with your patients. Yeah. Um, don't it's you, just, don't to you, me, that's just fundamental. Don't you feel like the way it's handled is basically you take a, it's like you're taking a box of 50 baby birds that are really close to being able to fly and you go up in an airplane and throw them all out and you go, oh, I think most of them will be okay, but I'm not going to check. Yeah, you, essentially you know I mean? it's yeah, yeah same yeah, exact thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and hopefully they'll be all right. I mean, I've done all I can do. I put them in the air. They fly. They're close to their age. It's fine. Let's see what happens. And then you come back three months later and you're like, uh, this didn't work. And they go, huh? How about that? <laughs> we'll try again. You, you know, and they don't remember you. You've been living for this for 90 days. It, it's like being in a war. You, you know what I mean? Like you're, 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 you're steeped in it. You're behind enemy lines. You've got your head down constantly. You always think you're about to get your nuts shot off. And then you show back up to this person who hasn't been in this fight with you for 90 days. who goes, oh, I remember war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they reorient themselves with the last time you spoke to them 90 days ago and try to make another decision. It's a fool's errand. You can't, you really can't do that. Um, and then they don't want to hurt you. So they see a low somewhere and take away all your basil and start the whole thing over again. The best. Yeah, and it just becomes a, a self-defeating cycle, basically. Yeah. And that's how nine years later you end up being an adult who's had an A1C of 10 for nine years. Because. Yeah, and having kidney failure and everything else that, that comes, comes with, with that A1C being so high for so long. Yeah. So listen, I, Jeremy, I'm going to tell you something. Unless they can get you, I think that I've. I think I've put the thing in the world that works the best so far that I've seen for people with diabetes. Like I, Oh, I would agree. Yeah. Thank you. That's why I send so many patients to like, I send people with type one and type two to you. Cause I think it's applicable to them all. Did you, well, if you were in the Facebook group still, you would have seen John last night, a type two who showed us all his graphs from the months and months before the podcast and the months after, and he is doing spectacularly and he's lost a significant amount of weight. Um, just from listening to the podcast and having type two diabetes, and I never specifically talk about type two diabetes usually. And it's yeah, and, work yeah, yeah. I, I I didn't even feel weird saying it when I like as it was starting to come out of my mouth. I'm like, oh, you're gonna say something nice about yourself, and people are gonna think that's weird. But I I just genuinely believe it. Like I, I think that what we've discovered over this last hour is you need consistent conversation. It can't be getting jammed down your throat. It has to be something that you can hear believe and take in it has to be something you can do on your own and it can't be all at once you need it matriculated over time and that's what the podcast does it and then there are other people that tell me that even after they're in a good place they use it almost like maintenance like i i it's probably the the equivalent of like an aa meeting for some people like let me just go listen to a person who has type one today so i keep my head in the game a little bit you know yeah and actually that's why kind of what i like about listening to the podcast because I get to hear people living with diabetes and their own lived experience, which I don't, I mean, I get that from my patients, but you go much more in depth than, and it's a more like different perspectives that help inform me of like what it's like yeah. to live with diabetes. Um, there was one guy, um, I had, I, it took me like four or five days to get through the podcast episode. Cause he would start, you were talking to him about, I don't remember his name. You were talking to him about um, complications from diabetes and how he was living with his complications. Mike. My, yeah. And he yeah. would start breaking up and crying and I would lose it. I would just like start bawling. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pause it and come back to it when I 
feel emotionally ready, but like that, that one wrecked me like that. Oh, it's, it, a, it's really yeah. important. His conversation's incredibly important. Like, it is. You, yeah. You just, you can't live every day. Like you think your kidneys are going to explode 50 years from now and you can't ignore it, that it could happen. You, you know what I mean? You have to be somewhere between, um, you know, a little blissfully ignorant, you know, day to day when you get a blood sugar, it's 180. You can't sit around like, you know, out of your mind in a puddle on the floor and you can't forget that that's not okay either. You have to find a, a, a psychological middle ground that you're willing to live in so that you can live today well and live tomorrow and in the future well at the same time. Because it isn't, I mean, listen, I don't really outright say it very often, but you ignore your diabetes, something bad's going to happen to you. Like, that's mm-hmm. just what's going to happen. You, you're not going to avoid that. You're not going to be the... You're not going to be the 110 year old lady smoking cigarettes on the local news going, I'm going to live forever. Like, you know, like it's you're listen, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a doctor. OK, but there's a certain amount of sugar molecule that belongs in your blood. It keeps your brain running. You, you know, you, right. you, you know, if you have too little, you just die. Your brain shuts off. The, the sugar in your blood is energy keeps your brain going. You have too little. You shut off. That's it. You don't get to turn it back on again. Once it's off, it's off. Too much sugar is acting as an abrasive uh, agent inside of your blood. And your blood flows everywhere down to the tiniest mm-hmm. capillaries, like through arteries and veins and everywhere. And it's it's flesh and it's scraping. Now that sugar is in there scraping and scraping and scraping. And eventually a hole pops in one of them. And that is a stroke if it happens in your brain. If it happens in your heart, it's a heart attack. If it happens in your toes, you can't feel your toes anymore. Like, like that's what you're avoiding you need a balance of that sugar molecule in your blood it needs to be the right amount not too little not too much and it sucks but that's the truth you know so get in the game you know what i mean like what what do you think of the pro tips have you been through them all yep i mean i love them all like that's what i um those are the episodes that i like send to patients for them to actually listen to i'm glad I'm glad we worked hard on them. Actually, we're going to add to them this year, too. Jenny, oh, awesome. Yeah, Jenny and I are finishing up uh, a Defining Thyroid series right now. And then we are going to basically do like director's commentary-ish um, types of stuff for the pro tips. We're going to go back and listen to them. And then we're going to come and kind of like add to them a little bit with new episodes just to kind of maybe supercharge them a little bit. So. Yeah, and um, one thing that I'm hoping changes in the future um, is the whole pre-bolusing thing. So I use, um, so I would say for 90% of patients, it's impossible to pre-bolus for every meal because it takes a lot of planning, especially people with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it can flip their day upside down. So I actually have been switching a lot of people to either Fiasp or uh, Lumjev, yeah. which are more rapid acting. And the change is so much better. They can give it right when they start eating and it gives them the same effect as if they gave it 15 minutes before. Um, but that's one thing I think pharmaceutical companies need to focus on is making insulin function more like actual human insulin so that people can live a normal life. Yeah. I also think that um, right there with it is cannula technology. So they mm-hmm. can, so cannulas, they, they should be working on materials that don't look foreign as best they can to your body because, you know, bad sites are also an issue. You get, I mean, you go through all the things we just talked about, get all your settings right, do everything, and then your site starts going bad. And you're like, geez, you know, it's not one thing, it's another. I will tell you that uh, I tried Fiasp for Arden. It burned 
and left, mm-hmm. and left her feeling bruised. She could power through it, but it was very, very unpleasant. I believe it's the niacin that's in it that makes it act faster, which will also cause a burning. Yeah. So then we tried like the, the Lumjev, and that was she described as twice as bad as the Fiat for her. Oh, interesting. Could, I've had a lot of people with it using it through a pump that have had it do great control, but also have burning. So they went back to Humalog instead. Yeah. So I'm telling you, Arden could wear the Fiat. She wore the Fiat pod for weeks. It always hurt her. The site was sore. It burned going in, but she dealt with it. The, the Lumjev, if I'm saying it right, two days, less than 48 hours, she's like, take this pot off. Like, she couldn't get through it. So w- it's no luck for us. Um, so, yeah, whatever they figured out makes it work better. They got to figure out this piece next. Yeah. I mean, I, the Petra works really well, too, but I find that it's hard to get insurance coverage for it. Um, usually, insurance will prefer Humalog or Novalog. And if both of those don't work, I can usually get it covered. Yeah. Um, but... A lot of it's an insurance game too. Like the insurance companies are awful. I hate them so much. Yeah, I imagine Arden's been using a pager forever. At this point, like it's so long. I don't. I couldn't remember when she used to use Novolog. It was so long ago. Um, and I find P- it, the way I describe a pager is it's incredibly smooth. Mm-hmm. It, there's no. There's not a ton of like, oh my god, it's working too much now, or it's not working enough now. And you can kind of pre bolus and, you know. You can use larger amounts, at least for Arden. And it's just, there's not a lot. Of, I don't see double arrows ever. Like, I honestly, a straight arrow up or down is fairly uncommon around here. I mean, a straight arrow down is really uncommon around here. A straight arrow up, okay, if we miss a pre-bolus, like you just said. But double arrows in either direction, I have not seen in forever. Um, I, I love a Pedra, actually. I wish they would advertise in the show. Honestly, I would, I'd, I'd have no trouble being able to talk about a Pedra. That's for sure. Um, with Arden's, what, 16 or 17? She's 17, going to be 18 this summer. When, is she going off to college in the fall? Yes. How do you feel about that? I hope she doesn't talk to any boys. <laughs> um, like, in terms of her diabetes, like, do you think she's going to... I mean, from listening, when you had her on the show, I think it was a few months ago that the episode aired. Yeah. Um, I... I honestly like love that episode because she and I have a very similar sense of humor. So I was laughing the entire time with like, she, I, I loved her attitude. Um, do you think she's going to do okay managing on her own? Yeah. So, I mean, keeping in mind that the podcast episodes, a moment in time, like we've been working on this, getting ready for Arden to go to college for 10 years and, yeah. and we're still doing it now. Like she and I actually had a really long conversation about a week or so ago, when I said, look, you know, I know right now she's applying to colleges. She's just about done. She's been accepted to a number. Actually, she's been accepted to every college that she's applied to so far. Oh, awesome. She's super excited. She has one that she definitely wants to go to. She's holding out to hear about one or two more before she decides. Um, But I said, as soon as this whole college application process is over, um, you and I are going to go back on the podcast and talk again, nuts and bolts. And then we're going to put that stuff in practice in our real life. Now, keep in mind, like, I'm not up her butt constantly about her blood sugar. You, you know what I mean? I help right. her. But she. I also think the process, I honestly think you're learning through the process. You, you know, like, you know, she changed a pod about 45 minutes before you and I uh, started recording. And mm-hmm. I said to her, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen here, right? So maybe 
20 minutes before you and I got on, I saw an arrow, like she started going the wrong way. So we took, took her old pot off. Sight looked a little angry. Is that a good way to put it? And yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And I could tell that the site wasn't working as well as I wanted it to for about the last five hours. So much so that I sent her a text while she was at school because she caught some adrenaline from Jim and the algorithm couldn't do anything about it. It was trying and trying and it wasn't having impact. So I said to her, Hey, I think the pod's done. We're going to change it when you get home for now. Let's make a bigger bolus. So we bolused a little more. We turned this 150 back into like a 120 by the time she got home. But as soon as we popped the pot off and put the new one on, maybe 20 or 30 minutes later, we started seeing up again. She started going 130, 140 diagonal up. Mm -hmm. And I told her what to do there. Like I said, let's open the loop, which for people who don't know about like pumping, like basically turn the algorithm off. Let's run this like a normal pump for now. I want you to get your background basal insulin because we're going to make a a correction bolus here and we don't want the algorithm to take away the basal. So we, we opened the loop, turned off the algorithm, made a bolus that I knew would correct it. And probably about five minutes ago, actually, while you were talking, I texted her again. I said, close the loop. Her blood sugar is 95 now. So would she know how to do all that? Mm, Ish. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. we're going to have that conversation more. She just to make sure she understands like the ins and outs of the algorithm. I also think it's incredibly possible that Arden's going to be using Omnipod 5 when she goes to college and not a loop. Hopefully the FDA needs to get that approved now. Like I have so many patients that need to go on it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's going to happen in any any second now. So that I'm happy about. But also I don't want to spend a ton of time over explaining the algorithm she's using now only to move her to a different one. So right. I'm waiting for that little gap in time and and then we'll keep going. I honestly think she's going to be okay. I think the bigger issue with her being away is going to be the impact it has on her at nighttime. Because there is still now, you know, a time or two a month where you change a pot at the wrong time of day, and then you end up with a high blood sugar as you're going to bed, you make a bolus for it, and you overdo it, and then somebody has to help you at two in the morning. Like, that's the time I'm more concerned about for her. Yeah. You you know, um, and even at that, you know, the other day, I, I did say to her, just kind of in passing, I was like, hey, listen, we should start paying more attention to when we change your gear. I was like, we don't do it now because it's not really problematic, but there are times of day where you should start thinking about changing your pump so that you don't have overnight issues. I'd rather you have a daytime problem than a nighttime problem when you're at school. And she was just like, all right, you know, and so that's the stuff we'll do. But I don't see, um, I don't see her leaving as some finite ending to our story. Like, you know, I can, I can do diabetes blindfolded and I can do it. At, dis- at a distance too i won't have any trouble helping her get settled at school i don't think i think i was actually more interested in like the alcohol conversation if you've talked about her with that with yeah. how that's going to affect her because i mean hopefully she doesn't drink until she's 21 but it's college and that's yeah. a big sticking point for a lot of my pa- my young adult patients um managing how to consume alcohol and also manage their pump yeah i imagine my kids don't aren't drinkers Either of my wife and I, like it would be incredibly shocking to me if my children drank to excess. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even one drink, like one glass of wine can affect 
can be pretty dramatic for some people. Yeah, uh, my kids have grown up with. Um, like we talked about modeling er- earlier. Like mm-hmm. we, in our extended family, there's modeling that has made my children. Um, they don't want to drink. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So avoiding alcohol in general is good, but with diabetes, it's always a good idea anyway. But yeah, yeah. no kidding. I mean, can I tell you she's never going to do it? No. Can I tell you she's not going to change into a completely different person? I mean, I don't think so. She's pretty headstrong. Like I think she knows who she is enough. I don't think mm-hmm. you could. I don't think you could push Arden off of who she is. If that makes sense. Yeah. So if that ends up being who she is, then we'll have to figure out how to handle that. Um, but I'd be surprised. I guess we'll see. You know, yeah, again, she seemed like she had a good head on her shoulders. She was very bright. She's basically me with like in a girl's body. She's very just kind of like she has a dry sense of humor. She's uh, confident. She's smart. She knows. Um, she knows what she knows. She knows what she doesn't know. Um, she doesn't try to play in. You know, she doesn't try to play in sandboxes. She doesn't understand. She's uh, mm-hmm. you know, she's consistent. So and she's tough. Like she really is a tough kid. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I dude, I know it's in the back of my head. You know, I'm like, oh, it's gonna happen. One of them's gonna turn into a heroin addict or something. You know what I mean? Oh God. <laughs> Now listen. But you have clarity on her anyway. So if, if she dropped low in the middle of the night, you'd get an alert on her, correct? Yes. Yeah. But she's yeah. going to be too far away for me to do anything about it. So, you know. That, so the, what I usually recommend parents do is actually get to know the roommate of them oh, yeah. and have their number. Um, I actually had a patient who was on an Omnipod. This was like six or seven years ago, who was on Dexcom. Um, she was, something happened to her pod. Like it was a malfunctioning pod where, it did something to her basal rate and she was like, basically she, she was like thirties overnight and she didn't wake up to it. Um, and her mom got the alert at like three or four in the morning or actually woke up to it and called the roommate. And the roommate actually was able to go in there and give her her glue gun and, and bring her back up. Hmm. Um, and without that, I, she probably would have died. Yeah. No, that's crazy. No, I'm going to make sure I have 19 different ways to get to her. Don't worry about that. Um, oh, good. <laughs> including, I'll probably put an air raid sign in her uh, dorm room, and I'll I'll just control it remotely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I tell that to, like, husbands and wives. I tell that, like, to anyone that has any sort of partner or, like, in their life um, to get clarity and share it and make sure that you are always uh, connected. I had one person, another person who went low in the middle of the night. She was on a business trip in Japan. Her husband got the alert, um, called the hotel. They had to break into the room to wake her up because she didn't res- wasn't responding to it. And then she was able to treat it and be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but if she didn't have that, who knows what would have happened? Yeah, it's terrible. It really is. This diabetes sucks. It's, uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's not, it's not great news. All right. Listen, Jeremy, we've been, we went over time. Um, I, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted me to? Um, I don't think so, but I'd love to do this again. I love no. talking about diabetes. So. <laughs> Jeremy, I don't see how you're not going to be back on the show. What do you think of that? Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Dude, you you came with stories. You have a clear view of how to handle type one. Let's stay in touch. Um, I really appreciate you doing this. I really do. Yeah, thank yeah. you for having me. No, it was a, it was a it was a real pleasure. A huge thanks to Jeremy for coming on the show and talking with me about what he does for a living and some of my ideas as well. Thank you, Jeremy. I also want to thank Dexcom and remind you to go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice to see if you're eligible for a free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6. 
And of course, Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Find out about the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod 5 and get yourself going with the tubeless insulin pump that Arden's been wearing since she was four years old. Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to these and all the sponsors. When you click the links, you're supporting the show. If you're into helping people, especially people with type 1 diabetes, I'd like to ask you to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. When you get there, fill out the survey completely and you've helped somebody. All you need to be is a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Join the registry. Complete the survey, help someone with type 1 diabetes, help yourself perhaps, and support the Juice Box podcast. You will do all of this in the fewer than 10 minutes that it will take to go to that link and complete the survey. The survey is very simple. You'll know all the answers to all the questions. It is also HIPAA compliant and completely anonymous. T1DExchange.org forward slash juicebox. There are links in the show notes of your podcast player and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to all of the sponsors and to T1D Exchange. When you take the time to click on my links or to type them in a browser, you're telling the sponsors that you came from the Juicebox Podcast, and that is a wonderful way to support the show. Are you looking for a vibrant and intelligent community around diabetes? Look no farther than the Facebook page the private Facebook page for the Juicebox Podcast. It's called Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. The group has over 28,000 members, and those members are responsible for between 70 and 110 new posts every day on the Facebook page. Every conceivable conversation around diabetes is happening at Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. You're going to see great questions, thoughtful answers, and supportive people. No matter if you're an adult living with type 1 diabetes or the caregiver of someone with type 1, this group is for you. Doesn't matter if you eat low carb or high carb or somewhere in between. Your questions and thoughts are welcome on our Facebook page. I hope you check it out. Last little bit, if you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip series or the Defining Diabetes series or any of the other multitude of series that exist within the podcast. You can find them in a number of ways. They are at juiceboxpodcast.com. They are at diabetesprotip.com. And if you belong to the private Facebook group, you can find them listed in the featured tab. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider sharing it with someone else. That helps the podcast grow more than anything. Word of mouth is definitely how the show has become what it is. If you have already shared it with everybody you can think of, and you've bought an Omnipod or a Dexcom or supported one of the other sponsors, you've done the T1D Exchange survey, and now you're looking for another way to give back to the podcast, super simple. A five-star rating and a thoughtful review in whichever audio app you listen in would be amazing. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.